Get the scoop on Tigers today. Tigers SRD on SportsRadioDetroit.com. Welcome to another episode of Tigers SRD on the Tiger Minor League Report Network and the Overtime Media Network. I'm Roger Castillo alongside me, Chris Brown. And of course, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartMedia, Stitchler, and Google Play. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter at Tigers MLB Report. And our new Facebook page, you should check out. We got some content coming out, including the Randy Smith article. But tonight is a familiar voice for all Tiger fans out there. I'm sure you've heard him every summer since 2003, end of 2002-2003. The voice of the Tigers, Dan Dickerson. Dan, welcome in. How are you doing? I'm great, guys. How are you? Oh, fantastic. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. This is a real treat for us, uh, and hopefully the listeners oh, enjoy it, too. I love talking baseball. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what we – we love talking to baseball people, so this, this should be fun. Um, but one thing, you know, we, we – Everybody hears you, and we get to hear you call the games, but we don't ever really hear a whole lot about you. So uh, one of the things we always like to do with our guests is, is just ask them about their earliest baseball memory. So if you've got something that sticks out, I think we'd love to hear it. Um, I always think of uh, mom and dad. You know, dad was a pretty pretty big sports fan. Mom, not at all. And I always just appreciate how they, A, exposed me to baseball. My first game was in 67. I swear this is true, but I, I, I wish, I don't know if it's a fuzzy memory, but remember people used to wear coat and ties to baseball games in the sixties. They did. Mm-hmm. And I swear I wore a clip on tie and a coat to my first <laughs> game. I wish there was a picture of it. <laughs> That's my earliest memory. It's just a vague memory. And then a couple of games in 68 as a nine year old. And then I always remember my maybe favorite memory of all. I remember when Monday night baseball was a big deal. Oh, yeah. And the Yankees were in town and 53,000 packed Tiger Stadium. And mom, again, not a sports fan, took it was family night. So head of the household got in for, I want to say, <laughs> three bucks or something. And everybody else got in for 50 cents and you could sit in the bleachers. So mom took myself, a friend, my brother, his friend, you know, for like six bucks, we're all sitting in the center field bleachers, but the bleachers were so packed. All I can remember is them saying, can you please move to the middle of the row? You know, like <laughs> the first three innings to pack as many people as they could in there. And I just remember, I mean, you couldn't see, I think the game winning hit was below us, but to deep left center. So you couldn't see it. I want to say Gates Brown won it on a, you know, walk-off double. It wasn't a walk-off back then, but I mean, just that whole atmosphere. And I just think, you know, God bless mom. She, she, she's just squeezed in the center field bleachers. She's not a big sports fan, but she wanted to take her kids down. And so she did. And then when I got my driver's license at 16, I'm like, can I go to games? Yeah, go, go, just drive down. I go park at Irene Timbers and go sit in the center field uh, bleachers. So those are, I, I just always appreciate the fact they exposed it to me. And then when I got my license, I just said, go, go have fun. Yeah. I wonder, um, you know, coming up right around the time when they were championship contenders and then won the championship, do you think that had a big effect on your fandom? No question. So 68, obviously, a nine, and that's really the first year. I remember watching on a little 12-inch black and white the end of the 67 season, the back-to-back doubleheaders, and I saw Dick McAuliffe ground into that double play uh, to end the 67 season, and then 68 um, – Definitely kind of got me hooked. And, you know, 72 was also a very good year. I was 13 that year. Uh, got to go to one of the playoff games against Oakland, another early memory. Again, Mom said, I'm like, Mom, can I skip school? Our buddy's got tickets. She's like, yeah, go. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Nice. Uh, so, so, yeah, those are pretty good years. I mean, you think of that group was still almost, you know, very much intact in 72. So that was a group that you could certainly, you know, attach yourselves to and, uh, we did, and we could imitate every batter's stance and wiffle ball in the backyard, and we did almost every day in the summer. <laughs> that's yeah, that's remarkable. I mean, that's that's not all that dissimilar for for me. Although it was more like '87 was the team that that really stuck yeah. out to me. And and yeah, we played wiffle ball every day in the summer. So it's uh, it's funny how that uh, 
transcends time and we find just about everybody we, we talk to we find that baseball is basically genetic you know that they uh, my first memory is, is is there with my my granddad or my dad or my mom yeah so, yeah it's, it's, no it's question pretty cool yeah especially no that um, yeah especially that 87 team the the first game i went to was in 86 with the with the royals just fresh off the world series and first time i ever had hot cocoa and my dad took me and didn't warn me about burning my mouth when I went up to help you on the bleachers. Uh, but uh, yeah, that was my uh, that's my favorite one of my favorite memories right there. But that '72 team, by the way, the big thing I remember reading too about later on, Dan, was that was one of the the, the teams that really pushed that dynasty of the A's too. I mean, you you got Woody Fryman in the at the at the All Star, excuse me, in the trade deadline, got mid season one of the best acquisitions that the Tigers made to make a run and the likes of and Joe Coleman was just a beast out there. And I mean, I think that Billy Martin got some criticism and rightfully so in reading, there was a book I read about that team of how he used the guys like of Chuck Zuback and some of the guys out of the bullpen where he kind of taxed them after a while. (laughs) He had a good track record of doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Woody Fine went like 10 and two or 10 and three with a sub two ERA. He was amazing. Yeah. 38 years old, I want to say. Yeah, yeah, he was um he was up there too and then what's what's interesting too is that he and just the, the year that Joe Coleman had to just to step in like that after that big trade with the with the Senators. So they get right. the, you know with a, a, a young, you know, Brinkman, Rodriguez, Coleman. Yeah, Brinkman who was just known for more of his defensive prowess batting a nice uh, 203 there, but uh they they definitely <laughs> robbed uh, Ted Williams and the, those Senators teams, but so, uh, so Chris, what was the uh, first question you want to go up with? Oh, uh, well, I was just kind of curious, uh, not to make a, a sharp cut here, but this is Dan, you obviously, uh, I imagine you spend a lot of your time getting prepared for the upcoming games and researching and stuff like that, but you do get to travel around the, around the country and, and talk with people from other teams. So I'm curious if you've gotten a sense from other teams uh, what their view of the Tigers uh, and their rebuild and their farm system is. No, not not especially from travels and conversations, just because you find that during the season, I mean, yeah, you're paying attention to it and you're certainly giving notice as, as this farm system gets better and better. Uh, but you're really talking about, you know, the major league club because you're talking about their club and your club. So not necessarily through those conversations, but just I do, I like to read and find as many rankings of the farm system as possible because when you say, okay, the, how's the bill going? Oh, I, you figure out how a rebuild is going. And I think it's, I kind of always mark it as it started with the trade of J.D. Martinez. So you're basically, what, two and a half years in. Um, how do you judge? Well, you start with the farm system. So I, I, I want to be able to say, okay, it's gotten better, but I want to be able to say with some certainty the national consensus is. And I would say right now, if you average the kind of the main ones together, I mean, you've got MLB.com has them at six. Bleacher Report has a pretty good ranking system, I think, because it's very thorough. They have them at nine. I've seen them at 11 and 14, so let's average it and say right around 10 in the major leagues. I think that's probably a pretty accurate national assessment. And that, you know, when you think about where they were at the time just a few years ago, bottom five consistently every year, that's that's a pretty impressive jump. And it's not just overall talent, but I think it's always important. What's your high-end talent? Is it just a lot of depth without any high-end talent, or do you have that high-end talent and I've seen, well, everybody's got Casey Myers in their top 50. I think Matt Manning is in everybody's top 50. And Riley Green and Tarek Skubal both are now in at least one top 50 ranking in the top 50. Uh, that's pretty impressive to have four mentioned as being in the top 50 in the minor league. So I do like looking at it. I, I think it, it's fun to see not just, you know, the organization saying we're getting better, but people with, you know, no agenda at all, just trying to rank the systems as well as possible, have at least two had them in the top 10. That's a big deal to me. Yeah, and I, and I imagine, uh, you know, you get to talk to the organization itself. They're pretty excited about uh, certain certain players. I wonder, have, is there anybody that they talk to you or about or you, you've heard about that, that you think maybe isn't getting the recognition uh, on a national scale, but they really like? Well, I think uh, Tarek Skubal would have been in that, that class, and then he obviously is not under anybody's radar now. <laughs> yeah. uh, after the year that, that he had, it was fun. I was just looking at his numbers just to uh, remind myself how good he was. What, almost two strikeouts an inning in 40-plus innings at double-A. Uh, 
but I think Parker Meadows would probably be that guy. Um, I think they don't want anybody to forget about, you know, what, what they think of this young man. And they think that he still has a big upside. Obviously it wasn't a great year, but he was 19 at, you know, West Michigan, um, one of the younger players in the league. And it's still the tools that everybody just loves from, you know, the, the athleticism, the ability to, he can fly and they just, they're really trying to remind themselves it can be a process when you've got a big lanky frame and that you're still filling out that frame, but they love his swing and they love all the possibilities. I think that are in that bat. So that's one guy that, that certainly um, you hear a lot about in terms of guys to keep an eye on. I, I still think they're very, it wasn't a big year for Isaac Paredes, but I still think they're very excited about, what that young man might do. I had dinner with a, a group of people in Pittsburgh this year. And one was a scout from, I want to say Kansas city. And he was, he had just seen Isaac Corades and he just said, you know, he's one of those kids where, and I always think this is like one of the highest compliments you can pay a young player coming up from the minor leagues because you don't hear it very often. And that the ball makes a different sound coming off his bat. Whenever I hear that, and again, I, you don't hear it that often. I heard it first with J.D. Martinez and at least recent examples when he was coming up from Toledo. Uh, you heard it uh, with, who was the other one? I'm trying to think in between. But then, you know, to hear about Isaac Paredes, it, it makes you think, okay, this is a guy who you should probably keep an eye on. I heard it about Dawell Lugo this year. And that's not a guy that I don't think people are thinking, wow, that guy could be a middle-of-the-order bat. But when you hear people say that, and they did say that about Dawell Lugo this year, the ball makes a different sound coming off his bat. It just makes you sit up and take notice and think, okay, beyond the numbers, which were just okay for Paredes, below okay for Dawell Lugo, although it was a good finish, it just kind of makes you think, let's, let's see what they have in these two guys. Yeah, I wonder, what was it, Stephen Moya, <laughs> whose ball made a different sound? Never really, I mean... I mean, that guy was doomed from the beginning, wasn't he? I mean, <laughs> seven to one. Yeah. If I see seven to one strikeouts to walk coming up from the minor leagues, I don't care how far you can hit it. Yeah, but they never really said that about him just because the yeah. contact was so sketchy. Yeah, there was. Um, we had a chance to see Parker Meadows. We had a, uh, Chris actually interviewed him. We had a chance after the game and his speed down the line. I mean, it, just in terms of even his approach at the plate too. And he was trying different things where we're, we're out there talking to him. And one of the things that kind of leads into our next part of the conversation about some the Tigers re-signing five players to minor league contracts. Two of them, and two players that I've been pretty adamant about, one being Anthony Castro and Jose Elzacar, who, you know, Dan, you look at his numbers, his walk rate was a little suspect. He did strike out a little bit, but he seemed like he has showed some signs of improvement after struggling seemingly the last couple of years between in Lakeland and Erie, but it seemed like his game got a little better this year. And, and Castro... You saw his numbers. He was better as a starter than he was as a reliever. He had a really good slider, and he seems like he has a, has a future as a reliever. And he has, I think, I think personally, MLB stuff, but and, and a chance to make the roster coming spring training. Guys like that, those in terms of depth players right now with pitching, you you always need as much pitching as possible. Ask the White Sox that same question. <laughs> Um. So yeah, uh, yeah. With that, that in mind, with an Elzacar and Castro, what do you see them in, in terms of? Do you think that they have a chance to come to make the team come spring? Yeah, I mean Castro's an interesting guy. I mean he made some really nice starts for uh, Erie down the stretch, didn't he? I mean, and they they said the stuff is is really impressive. And I had I wasn't even on my radar. I wasn't really aware of him at all because of all the attention given to the other five guys. Yeah. <laughs> in that rotation uh, after the addition of Joey Wentz. So uh, I probably not uh, unless, you know, they're thinking that Castro is going to be, as you said, maybe better as a starter. I mean, the, the kind of guy who might jump from double A, who is a little, you know, below the top 10 prospect list would be a guy that they would maybe think is better out of the bullpen. So I, I wouldn't picture that. I think they uh, they have they do have a nice problem of figuring out where all these guys are going to start next year because you still can't give up on Burroughs and Funkhauser, but they have a lot to prove, and they're going to get bypassed by perhaps all five of the top guys before you get to number six, Castro, <laughs> who you would think all are going to be at 
Toledo at some point, if not to start the year. But I can't. I can picture Mize maybe starting at Double A for just a few starts and then quickly up to Toledo. But you would think Manning starts at Toledo. You would think Faedo has nothing left to prove at Double A. He's at Toledo. Uh, Wentz might start at Double A, but would move up quickly. Uh, it's going to be fascinating to watch that that crew because it's arguably the best rotation on any one particular minor league team in, in all of baseball in terms of upside and prospect status. Yeah. And it, it, there's a, I guess for lack of a better term, it's kind of a roster crunch coming up. And it, it's one thing that's kind of led me to speculate about free agent signings this off season. If the Tigers, how many they're going to go for and what positions, mm-hmm. if they've got all these guys coming up that are close enough. Right. But, but you don't want to go into the season with just nothing but young guys. But, but yeah, I'm kind of curious if you've uh, delved into the free agent market a little bit to see any names that you think might fit in, in what positions you, you might be looking at. Oh, yeah. I've, I've printed out three different top 50 lists. It is, it is interesting how the uh, the lists do differ. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you try to figure out. And I like Fangraph's list just because they do their own prediction of years and dollars. And then they have the crowd uh, source giving their best guess at years and, and dollars, because I do think, I mean, to me, you, you're looking probably for that one or two year guy. I don't think there's any question they would love to add a bat. And that's a conversation I had with Al Avila uh, last week uh, for tigers.com. Hopefully that'll be posted soon. Um, but kind of like you said, they're, they're trying to figure some things out. Remember two thirds, more than two thirds of their plate appearances this year were by guys with, less than two years of major league experience. That's a, that's a lot of plate appearances by young hitters, but they're still trying to figure out some things about these guys. So if you go out and you say, and everybody agrees, you can probably get power at first base cheaper than just about anywhere else. And they have to, I, I, I don't think there's any question. They have to add that veteran bat who can thump it from the left side in the off season. Okay. Let's see, go out and get that first baseman. What do you do then with Jamer Candelario? Are you giving up on him, or are you now going to try to find him split playing time at third with Lugo? Because they don't want to give up on Jamer Candelario. It's been, a, I think, a really rough year and a half by the numbers. I don't think there's any question about that. But they've still seen that upside, and they still think it's in there. And I think they're puzzled by why it hasn't come out, <laughs> in the, in, at least with more frequency. But again, those are the kinds of decisions you have to make because they're still trying to find out. about. Think about the guys who are still trying to figure out. Harold Castro hit right around 300, low walks, high strikeouts. But they love his bat in terms of the bat control and how he can just flick his bat. You know, I mean, we start making comparisons to Rod Carew, and, you know, <laughs> Ron Gardenhire wasn't saying he's the next Rod Carew, but he was just saying he reminded him of the way he can just flick the bat. And All right, so there's, there's Harold Castro, the other Castro, <laughs> you know, that they, they still want to figure out about. Victor Reyes, Travis DeMera did not play well, but he, he's got some tools. Uh, Willie Castro, I don't think there's any questions, going to be the shortstop. And then you figure out where Nico Goodrum fits in. I think he's a really nice piece. Jacoby Jones, to me, is in center field. I know the defensive numbers are off, but ask anybody on the staff or the pitching staff, coaching staff or pitching staff, what they think of Jacoby Jones. They love Jacoby Jones. So I think he's in center. Kristen Stewart has work to do. I mean, he's, I don't think they're just going to hand in left field. Well, Jason Beck did a pretty nice job for MLB.com. He, he's trying to predict the opening day roster. And when you go down position by position in terms of the sure things, the locks for opening day, there aren't many. There are many possibilities, but there aren't many. So these are the kinds of things you're weighing. Okay, we add free agents, but at what expense? Who might then we be giving up on or saying, hey, you're going to have to fight for a job in spring training, which might not be all that bad. I mean, a Travis DeMerit, I would think, is going to have to fight for – a major league spot in spring training, otherwise end up at, at Toledo, you would think. So there are a lot of those kinds of decisions. It's not this time of year to make decisions about who's going to be on your opening day roster. Spring training, I think, is going to be uh, not a tryout camp, but it's certainly going to be, for many, a fight for an opening day day roster spot. Yeah, I, I've been kind of speculating that we might see more of the, the sort of Gordon Beckham sort of, uh, you know, older uh, journeyman types who come into spring training and try to win a job rather than a, a, an out-and-out signing. But I, yeah, I, I have I, to believe I, that you're right about signing at least one one bat. Yeah, I, I do like Eric Thames a lot. And just in terms of – here's another thing that I think fans should be very aware of this offseason. 
I don't think there's any question the ball has been, <laughs> we've talked about it a fair amount on the air, the, the composition of the ball is the driving force behind a large increase in home run rate, in the home run rate over the last four years. I don't think it's easy to just say we're going to do this and take a little air out of the ball for 2020. But I do think they're going to do something because you guys have seen it. There have been, I mean, many articles written and you, and you kind of look at this article and you add it to this article. And then the astrophysicist took a look and found the ball is actually rounder, which suggests it's being made better, but that's less drag and the leather's smoother and that's less drag. <laughs> so in other words, all these things add up to a foot here, a foot there, a couple of feet there. In the end, it might be 10 feet farther than a few years ago, but to say that we're just going to have a ball that flies 10 feet less far than the last couple of years, that's not, an, that's not easy to do. I do think, though, they're going to try to make the ball a little more reasonable. Yeah. And so now, as you try to figure out which free agents to sign, look for the guys who didn't have that power spike in the last two years. Eric Thames' power numbers by isolated power are very consistent since he's returned from overseas. That's why I like Eric Thames. Lefty, can draw a walk, consistent, doesn't hit lefties especially well. He's not going to kill you there, but again, you could you could let him hit mostly against righties, and he'd get 400 plate appearances. I don't know. I liked him. I thought, you know, probably a guy like uh, Justin Smoke, solid. You know, he's going to hit he's going to hit 20 to 25 home runs, draw some walks. He bumped his walks, cut his strikeouts the last few years. Consistent power, not as much as Eric Thames. I mean, those are the kind kind of guys you're looking for. Uh, a Corey Dickerson, maybe. Uh, who didn't get a ton of at-bats this past year, but had a 900 OPS. I don't know what the market's going to be for these guys. I would think one of those three, even a Cole Calhoun, although his numbers spiked last year in terms of the power numbers. Um, so I think those guys have shown consistent power and also bats from the left side and have a little bit of plate discipline because we all know this lineup could use a little bit of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, go, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, well, well, to to touch on some of the stuff you you just mentioned, um, you know, you before the before the year, the the coaches came out and said they were going to try to cut down on the strikeouts, so that's that was their goal. And then I think mm-hmm. the Tigers ended up leading the league, leading baseball in strikeouts. And and you mentioned some of the young guys who it seems like you know the guys who hit didn't walk, and the guys who would walk like Stewart and Candelario they weren't hitting. Mm-hmm. And then and then uh, you know in the, the biggest year for home runs ever. The league, uh, the team leader had 15, um, <laughs> which is just astounding. Yeah. yeah, and so I mean, we try to, we try not to be negative on this show. It's it's kind of hard to be positive about a 114 loss season. But but are you, given all that I just said, we mentioned, are you somewhat surprised that uh, that there were no coaching changes made, or do you feel like this is just kind of a tacit acknowledgement from the front office that maybe they weren't offering much for the coaches to work with? I think that it's the latter. I really do, because I've had a lot of conversations with Lloyd McClendon, and I know he's moving to bench coach, and Joe Barber's going to be hitting coach along with Phil Clark. Uh, I I do think Lloyd's really, really good when you talk about developing young hitters and the hitters that they're getting from the minor leagues and the process of becoming a major league hitter. And you can't just say launch angle, let's go, just change your swing, lift the ball in the air. That was Jake Rogers coming up from the minor leagues. We saw how long that lasted after he hit three home runs early on. I mean, it's a process to become, in other words, you have to understand the strike zone, to understand where the barrel of the bat is and its path through the strike zone. You have to be able to, I mean, the whole idea is you're covering as much of the strike zone for as long as possible to hit as many different types of pitches as possible, as hard as possible. I mean, that, that's why I think Lloyd McClendon's really good. He teaches a line drive, gap-to-gap approach. And then when you start to get the field down, you show me you can use all fields. Then we can talk about launch angle and when you're trying to attack pitches to drive. Not everybody can do that. But And when you've got 70% of your plate appearances by – youngsters <laughs> many who came up with think of it did he have one star that came up from the minor leagues no no was, i mean what did he have to work with? and i'm not i'm not trying to make excuses for lloyd he doesn't right. make any excuses but i i really believe if you look so he teaches a line drive gap to gap approach one thing the tigers do well year in and year out and i do think in this day and age of the strikeout that is the way that you should be teaching 
In other words, you shouldn't just be teaching launch angle when you haven't taught about, you know, the underlying basics. But what did the Tigers do this year? They were first or second in line drive rate. Mm-hmm. That's pretty impressive. That's what he teaches. That's what they did. Victor Reyes had a 30% line drive rate, which is probably going to correct a little bit. But those are the kinds of things that he does do. He teaches a line drive, gap-to-gap approach. The Tigers are top two in line drive rate. You look at the top five teams in line drive rate every year, they're really good offenses. Tigers weren't one of those this year, but they were in the top five, which at least suggests what he's teaching is sinking in. And I do think it that approach is what you want. But his emphasis is we have to start teaching some of this stuff in the minor leagues. We can't yeah. bring guys up with low walk, high strikeout rates and expect them to succeed at the major league level. Yeah, and, and we earlier in the year we were pointing out uh, that that does seem to be uh, Roger mentioned Jose Azicar, you see Derek Hill. There's a lot of guys in the system who have interesting tools, but that that low walk, high strikeout rate is there. And I, I like we said, we try to be fair, and I, I think I was really impressed with what Jacoby Jones was doing uh, before he kept yep. getting hurt. Unfortunately, it seemed like he had made real changes, and that's a guy who, again, with the, the speed and the power, and but it was contact and it seemed like he had figured that part out and just, uh, so that was good to see, but then unfortunately the injuries came. So you know, it's, it's, it felt like well, you, it was cursed yeah, a little bit. Yeah. He had an, yeah, he had an eight twenty OPS. So I was looking before he came on last 70 games. I mean, he made changes crazy because he had to right? Mm-hmm. But in that Philadelphia series at the end of April, it's like, Hey, make some changes or you might not be here a whole lot longer. So to do that over 70 games with 25, walks and 70 strikeouts so he cut the strikeouts he had to bump the walk rate hit with some power if jacoby jones is as good as i think he is in center field an 800 ops with a gold club caliber center fielder there's a lot of value in that especially at comerica park yeah yeah i mean and i I liked ken delario playing at first and that was it was it was good he adjusted that position he had one of the best fielding percentages among third basemen when he was there and and i think maybe perhaps maybe a mental thing and i think and I've, I've said this for the last couple of years to Chris, and, and I think sometimes that, that wrist injury, those things are kind of things that linger for a little while, perhaps it's that. But um, in terms of even like some other names out there for for a starter, we t- you know Drew Verhagen, the man of nine lives, who was able to come up <laughs> and was able to come up and do his magic again. And then the combination of um, a, a very – and I thought Daniel Norris had a really good year, but I, I feel like the Tigers could get a starter – Someone along the line of Homer Bailey, who had a really good year after strong mm-hmm. start in Kansas City, went to Oakland, finished out well, one-year, two-year deal. You have Gio Gonzalez out there, who is a lefty, can throw some innings. And I know his numbers don't indicate very well, but Martin Perez, I mean, he threw 160-odd innings last year. His ERA, his numbers, eh. But at the same time, the Tigers needed starters that could eat innings. And right now, with Zimmerman, with the injuries and what have you, it seems like another logical at least to me, at least, would pick up a starter that can at least go 150, 180 innings. And that's strange to say in this era where you expect one or your two starters at least go 200 innings or more. Yeah, no, I, I, there, there is value in that. There really is. Uh, I don't know. I'm intrigued. What do you guys think of Rick Porcello? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that it, it's interesting. I mean, he really is the same guy. If you look at his 20-plus win season and how he's fared since then, He's still a two-walk, eight-strikeout guy who's given up a few more home runs. But I don't know. Would, would he do it? In other words, would he do a one- or two-year deal at a low cost to reestablish his value? And then he could be a free agent after that as the Tigers' youngsters come up. He's a quality person. I think he'd be a great addition to the staff. I really think he's primed for at least – I mean, he's durable. That's no small thing. And, again, it's not – the most exciting pickup, and yet, there, like you said, there is value in a guy that you know can make 32 starts every year, 33 starts, and you know what you're going to get. I mean, you really do with Rick Porcello. I mean, he's had a little bit of bad luck last through the last three years in terms of batting average on balls in play, but I don't know. You, you look at his best years when he gets the ground balls and keeps the ball. I mean, I know he's using – both have been forced him and he gets strikeouts, you know, up in the strike zone. But this this kid's I think you know what you're gonna get. And I think I think that could be intriguing. I have no idea what he's gonna get on the open market though. Yeah, and he I mean he's still it's hard to believe he's still thirty. Uh, he's been in the league for right. twenty four years and he's thirty years old. Um 
No, that, that you know, I've, I've seen other people suggest that, but they were also like, there are a, a number of former Tigers who are out there in the market, like Avicel Garcia and, and stuff like that. But no. for some, I, I think would make sense. <laughs> well, I just, you know, you know how fans, fans like to, to see right. their, their old no, I back, know. But, yeah, or Matt but, Joyce, uh, too, you know, comes to mind. Yeah, Matt Joyce, I mean, I mean, he, yeah, he's more of a platoon outfielder, I think. But, you know, if you can get him for cheap. But I, it is interesting. I, I, I would be curious to see what they could get Porcello for because of that, because of his age, because of his experience. And even with his down years, I mean, you look at it, he probably would have been the Tigers' second or third best starter last year. So that's definitely something that, that could work, I think. Yeah, I think um, Gil and- Gonzalez, I mean, I always stay away from pitchers with walk issues, and he's always had walk issues. I, I just uh... – Rick Porcello's a strike thrower. Remember, he had that infield defense was not good for him last year. He's not really a ground ball pitcher anymore, but at least two of the last three years he hasn't been. But that wasn't a very good infield defense behind him either. So that could have been part of the issue. I don't know. I think I think uh, Rick Anderson would do good things with a guy who's got that kind of strike throwing ability, and uh, you know what you're going to get, and maybe just change the mix of his pitches a little bit. Uh, slider was really bad for him last year. It was really good the year before. Maybe he can help him there. It just seems to me like that might be a guy who could just be a nice piece as you wait for the youngsters to come up. Yeah. Well, and uh, you've touched on it a little bit, but I'm I'm uh, curious which of the the young guys you saw last year do you see? Did you really you, you feel like hey this guy could be a, a key part of the future? Because we saw a little you know fits and starts from a lot of guys, but right, but, right. Yeah. It was such a, it was like a daily task <laughs> trying to figure out which one of these guys. I mean, seriously, you talk with coaches, you talk with Jim, you just try to look at the numbers and figure out what do you have. Uh, so putting all those things into the filter, I, Victor Reyes did, I think, show that, is he an extra outfielder or an everyday? I don't know, but I was really impressed with his improvement down the stretch. I mean, when Jacoby Jones went down, this guy had been up already six or seven times from Toledo. I mean, you know, he'd stay a day or two and then right back. And I mean, that's not an easy thing, first of all. And he handled it very well. And then when he got the regular playing time, you look at the last starting early August to the end of the season. I mean, he had the 3.30. It was still kind of low walks, high strikeouts, a little bit of extra base power, but really consistent day-to-day. I thought the quality of his at-bats, like I said, the line drive rate was good. He just made huge improvements. Lloyd McClendon said, I asked him about his improvement over the course of, you know, rule five year to the, the end of this year. He said, when we, when we first started working with him, he literally couldn't hit a ball off a tee. He'd be hitting, you know, the, the rubber below the ball. And he'd be hitting the tee. And, I mean, he just, it sounds he like no Major League or something. Bad. Yeah, I mean, it just so, – so when you see a guy improve that much, I'm intrigued by what he might do. I still worry about walk high strikeout guys, although he cut his strikeouts. Um, he does have a frame that suggests he could hit, I don't know, 10 home runs and 30 doubles seems easily within reach. But then – the only way he gets playing time is if he improves defensively. And he was, I thought, solid in center and pretty darn good in left field. And believe me, Ryan Gardenhire wants better outfield defense. I think everybody just thinks that this was one of those years for Jacoby Jones. I don't think he was quite as bad as the numbers would indicate by defensive runs saved. They still think he's a premium defender, but there are just some, you just, sometimes you can have an off year defensively. They still like him in center. So they really want to, Nice defensive left fielder. Reyes graded out, I think, the best in left field, the Tigers this year. And, you know, there are, again, some things they want him to work on, but he did. He used to just charge right at a guy making a routine catch and make that guy shy away or (laughs) blow the catch because he thought he was going to get plowed over by Victor Reyes. He finally started to learn how to just peel away, (laughs) I mean, little things. But he improved a lot. So Victor Reyes, to me, is intriguing. I still think they look at him as a fourth outfielder, but. He certainly has shown that he can be a piece. Uh, Harold Castro, not sure about him. We talked about him a little bit, line drive stroke, but it's low walks, high strikeouts, and not much power. Willie Castro did impress. I think he can absolutely be the shortstop of the future. He was solid at short, and he still doesn't feel the ball the way they want him to. Uh, he's got a basic flaw that they're trying to correct, and, and he will. I, I see tools there 
he's fast on that first baseline. Um, and I think he can hit enough. So I like him at short. Lugo, I'm intrigued by just because he finished strong after, you know, he too made a swing change in Houston. If you look at his numbers after that Houston series, uh, pretty rock solid down the stretch. You know, hit 290 with some good power numbers over his last 30 games or so. I, the minor league track record isn't very good, so I'm I'm on the fence about Dowell Lugo. But I think mm-hmm. between he and Candelario, one of them has to take third base. Radies will probably be there soon. So that's, I mean, trying to think who else. Demerit didn't really make much of an impression. It, um, he struggled defensively and at the plate. I think Jacoby Jones is your center fielder for a while, while and Kristen Stewart showed flashes, but he's got to hit with some power. And I think next year will be a, a key, key year for, for Kristen Stewart. I mean, those are, those are some of the position players uh, that I think about. Jake Rogers did not, you know, did not shine defensively, but I wouldn't give up on that kid. You know, his national consensus was he's the best minor league defensive catcher, uh, you know, in, in anywhere going into 2019. I don't think you'd lose that ability, even though he struggled when he came up especially blocking balls and pass balls. But yeah. um, that that kid I still think is intriguing. We didn't see it, but I would not give up on a guy that is that talented. But he has to hit. It won't be a surprise to see him start, you know, at AAA next year. So those are just the position players. Brian Garcia intrigued. I think everybody just so – I mean, you guys know and fans know, he only had a few innings and they weren't – I mean, the numbers aren't great, but they, they love this kid. And I'm really intrigued to see – what the future holds for Brian Garcia, because they just love his competitiveness, his stuff. And they really think he's going to be a late inning guy. That's going to be going to be an impact. I think down the road, I think him and uh, David McKay, David McKay, we saw in Toledo and then he came up and you saw some of his, his numbers in, in short work. I mean, forget the ERA. He was, he was, Flashing really what was it, Chris? Like a curveball, like a, a secondary pitch. Like yeah, a, I don't know if they they consider it a slider or a curveball or what. But it, yeah, when he gets on top of it, it's it's a really nice late breaking pitch. It seemed like, um, and he he ran into some walk issues, I think, too, uh, when he was in Seattle. I, I don't remember how he did in Detroit. I kind of, I may have checked out a little bit in the last few weeks of the season. I know, uh, <laughs> announcers might not have that privilege, but uh, no, no, twenty nine strikeouts in nineteen innings down the stretch. That'll so, work with the Tigers. Yeah, yeah, yeah 13, that'll work. Yeah, thirteen point five. Yeah, he, he showed some things. Fastball, curveball. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that was yeah, that that's a guy who I like. But uh, <clears throat> go ahead, Chris, with the uh... and Spencer Turnbull, I think is absolutely oh, yeah, going to be a, a piece. It's it's the mental yeah. side with him. Everybody agrees. He knows it. You know, he, he overthinks things, but that just means he cares. <laughs> He's really trying to figure <laughs> some things out, but you know, try to get out of your own way and just remember that you can trust that catcher and your stuff is really really good. <laughs> And uh, they've had many, many conversations. I think Rick Anderson uh, lost a few hairs because of Spencer <laughs> Turnbull. But the stuff is really, really top-notch. And I, I think he you – know, that's number two starter stuff, if not number one starter stuff. And that, that kid, forget the 3-17 and 17 record. He's, he's, there's a lot of upside there. It's hard to believe he had that record, man. You, I know, isn't it? It seems unfair at times. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like you said, you know, you see, you'll see 97 with movement from him and and like sharp breaking balls. It seems like he has no idea where the ball's going, like which direction it's going sometimes. <laughs> and don't forget, but, too, yeah, when it's Jordan, working, it's working. Yeah, as Jordan Zimmerman said, I told him, he said, "Do you know where your fastball is going? Because it has natural cutting axis. Sometimes I don't know if it's going to cut or sink." He's like, "Step one." figure out which way the ball's moving before you let it fly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seems like a good plan. I mean, last year he did throw, I mean, he did throw, I think, a record amount of innings last year, too. So, I mean, kudos to him to grow next year and, and kind of uh, leads to our next question, too, about the, the stats, Chris. Well, yeah, you know, Dan, I, if I'm allowed to compliment you real quick, um, one of the things I, I really enjoy about uh, your broadcasts is the way you all you, you, know, you talked to us, you, you said you're reading the Bill James handbook and, and you visit fan graphs. You're, you're obviously well-versed on the sort of advanced statistics and stuff like that. And, and the way you're able to work them into the broadcast, obviously these are for, for a wide, wide audience that, you know, right. 85-year-olds who don't care anything about win probability added. Um, but you're able <laughs> to get that, get that stuff in there, and, and I think you do a really good job of it. But uh, so you're obviously knowledgeable about, about this stuff. So I just wonder how you balance – you know, looking at fan graphs, uh, you know, for for Harold Castro and seeing what what that says about him basically being a replacement player, 
But then talking to the coaches, these guys who have a lifetime right. in the game and, and, and right. you know, bouncing what they think about what the stats tell you. Exactly. Because, yeah, which, which of these guys whose numbers either look mediocre or just don't jump out at you uh, could be a part of I mean, that was the question that I would constantly be peppering Lloyd McClendon with and or Rick Anderson with. And you always got insight into what they, they might be working on. Uh, it, it's really interesting. I mean, it, you can't overstat a broadcast, but you still try to figure out what, which of these numbers that, that we can look at. And I've got it down, I wouldn't say to a science, but I, I know what I like to look at for, say, I put together my starting pitcher card for every game in terms of just some basics, strike throwing percentage, swing and miss percentage. I mean, walks and strikeouts still do tell a story. They really do. <laughs> and it kind of leads you from there into many other areas, but there are certain basics that you want to know going into every start. Um, so, but you, you, like you said, it's a wide audience and some people don't even know what slugging percentage is. So if I can talk about ice, isolated power, which I think is really the best way mm-hmm. to look at somebody's power numbers and consistency and what kind of a power hitter they are. It, but I'm not going to probably talk about ISO power on the air very often. If I do, it's just because I really believe that if you want to judge how, what kind of power hitter do you have, start with isolated power, not slugging percentage. But so I might do that. But then you realize people don't even know what slugging percentage is. <laughs> so I use it as a guide for conversations with coaches and or the ability to say this is one of the best hitters in the game. Because I've looked at his you know, weighted on base percentage, which I know I don't look at that as much as I should probably, but I think that's what many teams are looking at in terms of just if they like just one simple stat. Weighted on base certainly seems to have, you know, jumped to the top of the list for just you know quick snapshot who are the best hitters. But you also look at you know you can look at OPS plus, and uh, that list is just almost identical to the list of top 10 and weighted on base. So you're just trying to figure out what, here's why I like, I don't know, take a Tim Anderson, for instance, people mm-hmm. are like this is a breakout year for Tim Anderson. I love watching Tim Anderson. I think he's a fun player. Was this a breakout year for Tim Anderson with a walk rate of two and a half? <laughs> I, I just, In a bad book you know, like four ten. <laughs> right. So again, you, you, you don't want to say, you know, kudos to him. Great year. He won a batting title. What more? But is it a breakout year? I think it's important to recognize the breakout year versus a year that there was some good fortune involved here. Is he a different hitter? No. Is he, has he changed anything? I don't think so. It's still low walks and pretty good strikeout rate. But the low walks will prevent you. And so this is where you look, okay, in history, what does history tell us about a really tiny little walk rate of 2.5%? <laughs> Well, it limits your upside. Basically, he had as good a year as you can have with a walk rate of 2.5%. I think his OPS plus was 128 at that last series. That's the highest that I could find in blessed baseball reference for being able to search <laughs> these things. But, but that's the kind of thing you want to be able to do. I'm not going to talk about, you know, I'm not throwing a lot of percentages out there, but when you only walk this many times and this many plate appearances, you're limiting your upside potential until you show that you can draw a few more walks, which speaks to your plate discipline, ability to swing at strikes. Um, then this is about as good as it's going to get. And there's a pretty good chance you're going to regress next year. That's not a knock on Tim Anderson, but anyway, that's why I like to use stats. I like it for conversations. I like it to try to, we're all figuring out how good are these guys? When is the breakout year? Does this guy suddenly become a power hitter? Or is he still hitting a ton of ground balls and it's just a lot of those fly balls suddenly this year are going out? You know, obviously, Yo Garcia, but it's like, that's a 25 home run guy. Not if you've got a 50% ground ball rate. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you. So that, that's fun to me. Um, and, and hopefully you can, you know, without throwing a lot of percentages and numbers out there, you've looked at the numbers and then you can just explain why you think this or that or why this coach thinks this or that. And, it's fun. I mean, it's, but it's really uh, with all the new StatCast stuff, you're very aware of, okay, which of these new numbers tells a story um, that is important to judging this player. And I think uh, that's, that's the real challenge right now. Yeah. And that, you know, the breakout year kind of, it, it brings me to, to Matthew Boyd, just thinking about that, where 
if you look at his ERA, it was actually higher than last year, but his strikeouts were up like an absurd amount, like three, three per nine yeah. more than before. So it's like, I would call it a breakout year, even if the end result wasn't quite, you know, he couldn't get those home runs in check, but, uh, Right. Yeah, that's 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 something to, to point out, I think. Yeah, we see a swing and miss rate go from 17%. I use the baseball reference swing and miss rate. There are different ways of calculating it, but from 17% to 23%, that's that's a big jump. And I don't have to say he went from 17% to 23% on the year, but I can say his swings and misses are way up this year so that he's now in the yeah. top, what, top five or whatever it is among starting pitchers. That's a big improvement, and that is, I agree with you, if not a breakout year, it was a year full of improvements. And now, not to figure out, I think he knew that kind of he got, and then Rick Anderson, he had a lot of conversations. He got a little bit predictable. He was 90% mm-hmm. fastball slider for most of the first four months. And then he started to work in change-ups, curveballs, which and both can be a decent offering, if not a plus offering. So I, I think he knows that. And I think, I would think that's going to be the improvement for him next year. Yeah, I mean, you talk about StatCast, and this is the last question to wrap up, and it kind of leads into the postseason. You look at spin rate, which is now the big, I mean, quote-unquote, hotness, if you will, and everybody knows now that the Houston Astros use, in terms of something from StatCast, 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 I was thinking of fantasy baseball, um, StatCast, <laughs> um, I was thinking of uh, StatCast in terms of spin rate and how they were taking, able to take the best part of pitchers what the Astros did with the relievers, and that kind of made for an interesting postseason. You have a team, the oldest team in the league, in the Nationals, taking on a very stat haven team in the Astros. <laughs> and, you, and then you saw Nolan Ryan left today, and he said, you know, the team didn't agree with directions. But what a postseason! I mean, I know I, I'm not sure. I know you're on the road quite a bit, so I'm not sure if you deplug after. You know, no, no baseball. Oh, no. Okay, okay. I love watching the postseason. Are okay. you kidding me? <laughs> I'm just last making, two games, I'm just making sure. <laughs> oh, Man, Washington what? taking those last two. I, I just found myself pulling for Washington. I like to have a rooting interest. There's nothing against the Astros. Well, there might have been a little bit, but I, I like A.J. Hinch. And I like, I mean, there's some good people on that team. Right. Um, <laughs> that I'm not going to hold them accountable for <laughs> the organization yeah. and some of the things they did. But I, I found myself just pulling for Washington. I thought they're their spirit and their uh, just the way, you know, those dugout celebrations were corny, but fun to me. I mean, I love watching Soto. I, I think Max Scherzer is just one of the good guys in the game. And I, I love watching him pitch in Strasburg. I just never see him. And I, I was stunned by how good he was, you know, yeah. seemingly every start. So yeah, I really, that game seven was, even though there were a lot of lopsided games, those last two games, I thought coming back the way they did, uh, was just uh, a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, yeah I, I was pulling for the Nationals myself. I've, the listeners to this show are probably tired of hearing it, but uh, well, first of all, Adam Eaton lives like five minutes from me, but uh, <laughs> but my my grandfather just—he just turned ninety-five. He's—he was born in Washington D.C., so he's been a fan of Washington baseball his entire life. And, oh my gosh! Uh, I did a whole big Twitter thread about it because the last time a Washington baseball team won, he was ten days old. Um, and he's still he's still sharp and lucid and everything, so he got to enjoy it. So I was really really. Oh, happy how about fun that. is that? Yeah, it was how great. How fun is that? Oh, you know, and uh, the, the, awesome. The finish the connection, Chris, of the Adam Eaton connection. His wife went to my alma mater high school, so they met oh, when they were in there college. You go. See ya. So there, there you go. go. Oh, well, you guys it. are all tied in. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, so um, in, in terms of uh, the off season, Dan just uh, kind of kicking back a little bit, um, kind of. Relax a little bit. Any uh, big plans before the season starts all over again? Is there a kind of routine everything? No, it's just amazing that the first month has already gone. Like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> where'd, where'd that go? Uh, no, it's funny how the days fly. Uh, I like to read a lot, both baseball and non-baseball and current events, and I like thinking about various things. So I, I spend a lot of time reading, and now it's kind of um, – the job one is to take that big pile of stuff that I throw in a corner during the season. Like, Oh, that's, that's a good thing that I'll file later. And then I had this pile of stuff that needs to be organized. So you get organized a little bit. I've got my, you know, my binders and my, my folders, the never ending quest to try to get organized. Uh, one of these years it'll happen, but it's fun to me the whole, so to get organized and then it's just kind of reading and keeping up on what's going on and thinking about, a roster construction for next year and um, 
you know, if I really get ambitious, try to transcribe some of the interviews because I get the opportunity to talk to some really interesting people during the course of the year. And I find it's helpful that I forget 90% of it unless I write it down right away. Yeah. So go back and transcribe. So I don't know, there's always, there's always stuff to do. I like to go to Michigan State. Uh, my wife is a journalism professor there, and she started an amazing uh, uh, Spartan Sports Report on Tuesday nights. And uh, those kids are just, uh, they energize you when you get up there and talk sports with them and just help in any way I can with writing or on camera, whatever. Uh, it, it's fun. And then I teach a short play-by-play class uh, six weeks because that's all I can do. Uh, just a one credit class in January and February. And, and that's also a lot of fun. So it's amazing in terms of work, quote unquote, there's, there's only a couple of high school football games on the schedule, but in terms of uh, the days being filled uh, with a couple of dogs that always need a walk, uh, the, day, the days do go fast. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say I, I I've tuned into Fox Sports Detroit before and seen I'm like uh, you know I'm watching a football game. I'm like, wait a minute, I recognize that voice. Like, wait, he's I love doing those. Yeah, I love like, doing yeah, I those. I just, professional broadcaster. It's very fun. I've I've uh, some years I've done as many as four, and uh, this year I'm I'm doing a couple. I just I love the uh, that whole atmosphere and calling high school games, and I've, I've called some gems through the years and. Even if it's not a gem, it's still a, a lot of fun. So yeah, that's that's uh, always a highlight for me on Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah, that's that's, oh, uh, that's, a, that's such a blast to and cover. And, you know, you we, do that too, Roger? Yeah, yeah. I, I do. I mean, for why not? Lost to Lavonia Franklin, who's a pretty good team, but they're going to run in the Groves and Birmingham Groves is just going to be a juggernaut. But uh, yeah, no, that was I got to call some games this year, so that was that was a lot of fun. But, oh, that's uh, fun. Yeah, that's really fun. Yeah, and uh, that's it was good. Yeah, it was especially especially in Division Two with how competitive that. Uh, division is as a whole but it'll be it'll be interesting to see i mean with dsl out uh, how wide open it's oh, going to be so but uh yeah so thank you dan for coming on today really appreciate it we enjoyed the conversation it was a lot of fun talking baseball talking well you know just er- everything i mean it was just such a, a great conversation when hopefully we get a chance to do this again sometime i'd love to i like i said love uh Love talking baseball at any time, and there's, there's so much to talk about, you know, whether it's the Tigers or just kind of league-wide, and uh, I always enjoy it. You guys have been a lot of fun to, to chat with. Thanks, Dan. Thanks so much, Dan. My bookie is the place to do it. Now, my bookie, you know, if you're going to be watching football this weekend or you're going to watch the Spartans and Wolverines next Saturday, my bookie has, I mean, has it all. So, I mean, if you're kind of got, you're the kind of person who wants to bet a little or win a lot, there's a parlay. There's a couple times you can. I mean, there's some good college football action this weekend and college basketball. I mean, Michigan State playing tough to Kentucky, kind of losing though, but it's okay. But uh, you can find all the NFL lines at mybookie.ag forward slash sportsbook forward slash NFL. Same thing, sportsbook, NBA, and NHL. So you can find that. If you join right now, mybookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $2,000, you're going to extra $1,000 with free money to play with. Just use the promo code OVERTIME to activate the offer. Once again, that's promo code OVERTIME to take advantage of MyBookie's generous sign-up offer. So visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid.